Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the HR Cartel Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dyer. Thank you for joining me again for what is likely to be the very last one for 2023. We started this podcast off early this year and, and people um, have been enjoying it and liking it and giving us comments and that sort of thing. So we've kept it going and uh, we'll we'll certainly run through all of 2024. There's so much going on in uh, in terms of workplace laws and that sort of thing that um, everyone's going to need as much info as they possibly can to be able to understand that and get through it. So we'll continue that through next year. Um, before I get started on this one, let me just um, give a thank you to everybody that we've worked with in the last 12 months over this year. It's been a big year for us. Um, uh, we've had uh, an office change, you know, a, a new office location, uh, growth in, in, in customers, in clientele. We've had massive employment law changes and we've managed to keep um, employers up to date with that ahead of the changes, out of trouble. Uh, we've defended a few Fair Work Commission claims, which uh, which could have been quite problematic for some companies. We've written enterprise bargaining agreements. Um, now we, we've done a lot. We've done a lot. We've done, we've done some restructures and all sorts of things. So it's been a great year. Um, good, juicy work that I love to be involved with and I love to do, and high value work as well. So thank you to all of our clients from 2023. And uh, I hope you all have a great Christmas and break and uh, let's have a big 2024. Let's get on with it. There's a few things that I want to talk about today and given this is likely to be the last podcast that I do for 2023, I just want to talk about a few things that every employer really should get the, get a hold of for next year or at least as early as they can in January 2024, get ready to put these things in place or to get their head around what it means for them. Um, look, there's a million things we can go through about what to get ready for for next year and uh, it's the wrong time of year to be trying to put so much information into your head uh, because everyone's busy winding the year down, getting ready to close the doors for at least a couple of weeks, I would guess, except for those in retail and hospitality and, and those types. Um, but even for them, it's an even it's the busiest time of year as well. Um, so I thought I'd rather just pick at the top two or three things that every business really can do, should do, and be aware of, um, because you know there are opportunities and there are risks right now, and uh, you you got to be across it. There's just no question about it. Let's get onto it. The first thing I want to say is, and and this is this is just a, a given. It's an ordinary thing. Business owners hear this all the time. Alarming to me how many clients that I work with. Um, and, you know, we've got, uh, let's say, about 50 clients, businesses that that uh, over the last 12 months we've touched. Majority of those businesses don't really have a clear, articulated, strategic plan or a list of objectives that they're trying to get to. Um, that's that's critical. So that's that's number one, right? If you haven't got that yet, you haven't done that yet, take some time if you've got time off over the break to really get clear on what that looks like for you for 2024. Ideally, we're talking about more, more like a three-year plan to five-year plan, but we're cascading that back to know what next year is going to look like. You know, what is a three-year vision for you? What's the, the ultimate goal? And if you're going to achieve that in three years, what does 2024 have to do for you? What do you have to achieve in 2024 to be on track to look like the way you want to look in three years, um, it doesn't have to be a, a, a massive, a massive project, a massive job where you bring it, you bring in, you know, 20, 30 people to try and get it done. It doesn't have to be like that as long as you've got some clarity, right? And 
um, it's important to have that. For one of these items I'm going to talk to you about, which is probably going to be one of the biggest opportunities companies have for 2024, and I'll talk about that next, um, you're going to rely on a list of strategic objectives to be able to align this activity to it. You've got to understand where you're going to be able to get value from the people in your workforce and um, and so on and so on, right? That, that's just a given. So that's number one, okay? There's, out of three items that I, I want to make sure that um, people I work with and anyone listening to this podcast um, is urged to do, the three things, number one, strategic objectives. Have a list, a strategic plan, a one-page plan, whatever tool it is that you use, and there are many out there, um, just get it done. If you haven't already got it done, get clear on it. If you did it a year ago, review it, refresh it, test yourself, measure yourself against what you planned a year ago. You know, and it, it, it's it's um it's a great thing to do. You know, because if I if I look back at, at at what I did one year ago in terms of okay, well we're going to achieve uh, A, B, and C things. Um, you, you you can pretty much tick off everything on the list that I did a year ago um, across this year. Now moving into a bigger location wasn't on that list. Um, having employees was that 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 was that was on the list too because with growth. Yeah, we, we need more more uh, more horsepower. So that was on the list, um, and everything else, you know, in terms of revenue and turnover and client numbers and that sort of thing, it was it was on the list. So uh, it's it's highly valuable to do this. Get that done. We'll we'll jump on from that. But there's there's major um, opportunities in 2024, and one of those things may not sound like an opportunity, but let me just talk through it. It's, it's predicted that, and it's starting to happen now, that the jobless rate in Australia is starting to, to increase. It's getting up there, right? Uh, we were in the, um, experiencing the lowest unemployment rate in decades for some time there. Um, and trying to recruit right now, it's really difficult. Now, I spent the last two, three, three months, I think, trying to recruit someone to start with me um, and – uh, I really had to change what I was looking for to be able to find the right person who I could bring on board and, and work with and, uh, and and plan for next year with. Um, so it, it's it's a market that's tricky right now. It's hard to find the right people. Um, it's hard to attract them, to retain them, and all that sort of stuff. As we go into 2024, um, the, the unemployment rate is increasing. So more people are going to be in the job market. Now, the people who uh, enter the job market when it starts to turn, people who are being let go and that sort of thing, I'm, I don't want to sit here and say, look, they're, they're the least valuable employees because they're not, right? That's not the point I want to make at all. But in reality, employers don't want to let go of people who are the highest value employee, employees. They'll find if there's a shift in the market, if there's redundancies afoot, if there's a restructure required, They'll typically try and find ways to retain those top employees. Not, not it can't always be done, but that's kind of the approach they'll take. So it, it, you're pretty safe to assume that those entering the job market who have been employed for some time, um, again, not, probably not going to be the, the the highest value employees. There is predictions that you know, and I've read some pretty high numbers here, up to forty one percent of employees i think it was a forbes story maybe but yeah 41 percent of employees will will leave their will leave their um, employers next year 
I, I don't ever believe these numbers, these statistics, and these predictions because it, it it just never turns, it just never rolls out the way that these forecasts are done. It's just clickbaity headlines, really. But um, employees are going to leave you next year. That's going. It's starting to happen now. It's starting to turn, and um, it, it will it will continue into next year. So how is this an opportunity? Well, um, you, you you need to be able to uh, identify those in your workforce that may be a flight risk or should be considered for um, not dead wood, but you got you know you got a redundancy in in skills or labour um, or w- w- whatever it looks like for you in your business, right? Um, you need to look at your strategic objectives, like I mentioned in the first place. That list of objectives that have to be achieved in 2024, and you need to, you need to focus on retaining people. You've got to retain people as the unemployment uh, rate rises, um, and retain them uh, by a way of offering them um, the benefit of training and development and opportunities within your business. Now, treat everyone like they're staying. Okay, just treat everyone like they're staying, and do whatever you can to retain the numbers that you need to retain. But again, you, you will lose people next year. That's more if, if you're in a bigger organization, right? These smaller businesses with, you know, five, six, seven, 10, 20, 50 employees probably won't lose that many people. But, um, you know, em- employers are still going to be hiring when the unemployment rate rises and they're going to be, they're going to be trying to attract your best people to go and join their companies, right? That's the way it's going to go. So retain your people. Do that by designing, training, and development. Now, not just the 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 run of the mill standard um, training modules or courses or tickets, you know that that sort of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, what I'm talking about here is you know get your get your um, your list of strategic objectives. Understand what has to be achieved in the next twelve months. Um, Figure out what skills are required to achieve those things in the next 12 months. Maybe it's a new system you have to deploy. Um, what are the, what's the learning around that? Is it automation? Is automation something that's going to happen in 2024? Is that on your list of, of objectives, which will result in um, people um, leaving your business, m- most likely? One, two, three, maybe 40 people, depending on the size of your business. Um, but what is that? What new skill does that bring about that your leaders and other people have to learn because you've now got this whole automated system or process in place so that's a specific to your business training requirement development requirement identify that okay um what uh what new clients are you bringing on what new markets are you targeting What's the new skills that your people have to know learn understand to be able to service those segments of, of your of your client market um, you know, that's specific to your business. So we're not talking about just offer training willy-nilly and, hey, you want to do it, you want to do this course, that course, sure, go do it, we'll pay for it. Not that. That's not high value at all. Understand what's on your list of strategic objectives for 2024 and um, specify those relevant skills that have to be developed and find ways to do it, right? Um, find ways to to bring those skills in. Find modules of training. Find uh, online learning, find uh, whatever process you you can go through to, to identify the best training systems or opportunities that are out there. That that's your biggest opportunity for twenty twenty four. 
So, um, you know, getting better, getting sharper, um, automating, um, you know, systems and processes, sharpening all that up, getting 1% better across your 10 different departments and getting that 10% better productivity every year. Um, that's that's your biggest opportunity. And you're going to do that through your people um, and some system stuff as well, right? So that's your opportunity. Um, let's talk now about a big risk for next year. And this applies to every single person who employs anybody. Um, and that, in my view, the biggest risk for next year in 2024 is going to be wage theft criminalization risk. Now, what does that mean? It's a very new thing. It's just come into play uh, uh, with this closing loopholes bill that the government's just now rolled out, along with a whole range of other things, right? There's, there's, there's so much in that bill that presents a risk to businesses. But for my liking, for if, you, if you're if you a senior manager, office holder in the company, if you're a director, a company owner, uh, a board director, uh, you, you're all exposed, okay? Um Wage theft criminalization, so the, the the penalties are up to almost $8 million in fines um, and up to, I think it's eight or 10 years in jail, right? Now, the ACTU, I've said this many times before, the Australian Council of Trade Unions and the Labor government, they're very, very close together. ACTU does a lot of influencing over the government. ACTU wants no um, exemptions for small businesses for anything, right? Um, so. Uh, that they want you to go to jail if you do wage theft criminalization. Uh, wage theft, sorry. So let's talk about it. Um, yeah, so if you, again, if you're a senior office holder of the company, if you're a senior manager, if you're a director of the business, uh, the business owner, the managing director, a board director, um, call it what you will, um, you are exposed to these penalties and potential jail time. Now, they'll find uh, you guilty of such uh, you know, a criminal acts, um, i.e. underpayments, so making mistakes in your payroll and underpaying people. Um, there's a couple of ways that they're going to look at it. The first is, um, you know, in your position, did you neglect your duty to ensure that the business uh, had a corporate culture of focusing on compliance, right? In your position, so you you may not have, yeah, you know, maybe you're a board director, um, a company owner, and you've got a whole team, you've got a, a senior leadership team that all reports into you, and underneath that that senior leadership team, you've got um, people that work in payroll and HR, um, or you may not, and that's even that's even trickier, right? Um, but you've got someone who does the bookkeeping or the accounts or whatever it is and processes payments and that sort of stuff, right? Um, now, did you, in your position, do everything you reasonably could to ensure that the company's culture was focused on compliance, compliance with regulations, with its obligations, that people were educated to understand the compliance, people had opportunities to ask about compliance and to check compliance and systems and processes all set up, uh, balances and checks. Um, you know, there's, there's um, secondarily uh, the obligation that you've got to create all those systems, to create all those tools, uh, those processes, 
that ensure compliance. So did you do all those things? Okay, did you do all that? That's what will be checked uh, should an underpayment claim come at you and, and that result in a, in a, a wage theft um, case being brought against you. Um, now, th- this is, it's, it's, it comes under, under the criminal code now, right? So um, directors are going to be liable for, for, for damages, essentially. Um, uh, it, it, it's no joke. Um, so this is the biggest risk I see anyone who's in a senior position in a, in a company you've got to get your head around that um, let's look at um, some thing, some situations where this might be a problem um, just so I can put it into context for you let's look at um, let's look at clerical stuff for example yeah a lot of businesses in the country and that's probably the biggest uh, modern award coverage is that there's a clerk's private sector award uh, um, where it covers most most employees or ha- probably has the, the highest amount of coverage for employees in Australia and the highest volume of businesses that have coverage under the award as well. Now, most clerical staff are not paid by the hour and are not paid by the award rate specifically. As the, as the award specifically determines someone gets treated, right? They're, they're, not, they're not treated that way. Most of them are... Um, that I come across uh, offered annualized salaries, whether that be part-time or full-time, doesn't matter. Um, but they're, they're offered an, an annual pay rate, you know, 60000 a year, 70000 a year, whatever it is, right? Um, that clerk's private sector award, 2020, has within it an annualized wage um, ag- agreement clause. And that means that um, as the employer, if you offer an annualized salary to a clerical staff member, Contractually, you have to specify um, what parts of the award that annualized wage is covering. So, what is it set? What is it intended to pay for, um, so that the, the award doesn't apply, or those parts of the award doesn't actually get applied on top of the the wage? Right? You're supposed to specifically state what what they are. The second thing is that you're supposed to actually put down. Okay, well, the the award level is uh, payment level is x and your pay level is y um, and this means that um, for example um, you can work anywhere or be required to work anywhere up to you know 98 hours or 95 hours in any given fortnight before you're required before the company's required to pay you any more in penalties in overtime and in, 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 what, in whatever whatever circumstances might arise now you, you're 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 required to have that in writing, in your contracts, agreed. Most employers don't understand that and they don't do it either, okay? Um, so that's a problem right there. Now, if you haven't done that how and, and you're not recording um, uh, time, time recordings for those staff each week and the claim comes at you from that employee who can make a claim against you for six years, right, for an underpayment claim, for a period of up to six years after the, after the fact, they can make a claim against you. If you can't produce those records that um, you had an annualized salary, an annualized wage arrangement, um, that the annual wage that you're paying the person offset all these other things that were payable to that person under the award, and that the hours they worked didn't exceed what the annualized wage arrangement covered, um, you lose. That's an underpayment. Okay. Another thing that I'll say is very common is, uh, you know, 
the assumption that employers have that, uh, look, the award doesn't apply because I, I pay above the award. That's something I hear a lot, and it's actually incorrect. Employers, that, that I, they specifically state when I'm talking to them about, okay, what's the award coverage? What, which award have you used to determine the coverage for this employee? Which award are you bringing into the contract? Um, how have you set these employees up? The, the common response is uh, the, the, the award doesn't apply because I'm like, well, why doesn't the award apply? I'm pretty sure it does. And they would say, well, I pay them above the award, so, so it doesn't matter. Um, you know, big risk there. Yeah. The award always matters, okay? Um, let's say again, we'll, we'll, we'll just say any, any award, you know, building and construction award. Let's just use that one for example. Um, you know, the building and construction award, if you pay the rates, uh, the hourly rates or, or, or whatever that are in that award, you're probably unlikely to attract anyone to work for you. So most companies, most, most businesses are paying above that, right? Um, unless you're an apprentice or, you know, an entry-level laborer or something like that. But typically, most businesses are paying well above what that award will, uh, will, will tell you to pay. But what you don't know is that that award specifically has more than 1,200 words you've got to read to, un to understand the rules around how you structure your workday. And if you don't uh, structure your workday in specific ways, you're going to attract penalty rates. Now, this award also has an array of allowances that you got, you've got to make sure that you're paying enough to cover, right? So it's very foolhardy to, to, to try and say, well, I pay above the award, therefore the award doesn't, doesn't uh, I, I take the award out of play. It's not the case, okay? You, you may not be paying enough to cover the, uh, all, the, all the money owed to the employee um, considering the hours of work they perform, the days of the week they perform those hours, the types of construction sites they're on, um, you know, all these sorts of things will determine what this employee gets paid. So um, that's a very problematic approach as well. Here's the other thing. Um, you know, people who are on, um, uh, you know, any award or non-award arrangement um, uh, and you do pay above the minimum wage or the, the, the minimum payable under an award or, or whatever industrial instrument that might exist, Offsetting clauses. Again, you, you may feel safe because you're actually paying above what the minimums require you to pay. But does your contract have offsetting clauses in there? So what, what I mean by that is what you're required to do is if you are paying above the minimums that you're required to pay, in your contract, you've got to specifically state the intention of that. So the intention of the, of the overpayment, of, uh, well, the intention of the inflated payment from the, from the award minimums or the, or the minimums that are payable to that employee, uh, intentionally offset, uh, is paid to offset all other loadings, penalties, overtimes, all these sort of things that may become payable under the working arrangement. Now, if you don't specifically state that, the, that your additional payment is intended to offset all those things, there may be a time that comes where an underpayment claim comes at you. Um, and if you don't have that contractually agreed, as in, in, in writing, uh, to stand on and defend yourself, you've underpaid. Now, you know, th th this, is, this is why um, this um, underpayments and uh, wage theft criminalisation is such an issue because so many businesses and so many employers in Australia um, just pay above what they think they're supposed to pay. And, uh, and, they don't really worry about contracts and awards when they do that. 
um, that they think they're safe. They're like, oh, none of that matters, right? But it's it's so far from the truth. And now that um, there's jail time for you and millions of dollars in, in penalties, um, and even if you didn't actually make the decision to pay the person what they're being paid, even if you've got a leadership team underneath you, you've got um, teams of people that decide who gets paid what and that sort of thing, and you're so far removed from it. If you're the director or the business owner or a senior manager, say a CEO or something like that as well, um, and you failed to set up the company to focus on compliance and to take the time um, uh, to deal with the administrative burden of compliance, if you didn't do that, you're at fault. You're guilty and you're the one liable, not them. You're liable. Okay, So you're liable for the jail time. You're liable for the, for the massive fine. So, yeah, that's a big risk, right? Um, so focus on that. There's your three things. There's your three things, okay? Make sure you've got a strategic uh, plan or at least a list of strategic objectives that your entire business is working on because that's going to give you the North Star. That's going to give you the guiding light um, of uh, the things that have to be achieved, the type of skills that are needed, the type of activity that has to be focused on and prioritised in your business, and then that rolls into number two, which is the biggest opportunity is retain your employees and your best employees and develop them. Retain them by developing them. Develop, develop their skills, not just with willy-nilly standard run-of-the-mill courses and things that they can go and do and select themselves. Identify the skills you need um, and list them out. Find out ways they can develop those skills and put them on individual training plans throughout 2024 make them more valuable in your business make them feel more valuable make them um you know able to produce more and be more connected to the work and 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 have more meaning and value to the work that's your biggest opportunity for 2024 and again your biggest risk for 2024 is all your all your wage arrangements wage theft criminalize criminalization that's your biggest risk for 2024 what I might do just quickly too before I finish this one up, um, I, I'm just going to open. Uh, let's have a look here. Actually, one one thing I I did want to mention too, um, uh, in relation to that clerical award. You know, uh, you've 2024 is going to be a um, and and beyond is going to be a really interesting time. Um, the Fair Work Commission has uh, time and time again. Um, uh, demonstrated and communicated its intention for gender pay equity to apply principles and assessments and, and, and related activity in modern award reviews and all that sort of stuff that focus on gender pay equity. Now, this clerk's private sector award, like I said before, there's a number of awards that um, cover industries that's largely female um, uh, dominated, right? And gender pay equity means it means making sure that that women have more money. Essentially, okay, it's not it's not about um, you know bringing men up in those other industries. It's about bringing women up, and we, and that's it. That's all it's about. Okay, um, so the clerk's private sector award will be one of those awards, and it's it's a wide reaching, far reaching award for coverage. Um, so that's the other thing. You know, the, the Fair Work Commission um, and em employees can bring about um, gender equity pay orders. Which, which can change the award, it can change the rules, it can you know, do all sorts of things. So there's, there's layers of risk there. And if you don't keep up with that, 
um, you can find yourself, you know, six months down the track with a with a big hefty bill of underpayments. Um, so you, you've got to get people in your team who understand what's going on in the world of industrial relations to be able to advise you properly on what your genuine risk is and how to stay ahead of it. If you don't have that, then use businesses like mine. Use businesses like workplace advisory specialists. Um, you know, we 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 spend our our life understanding what's happening, communicating that back to employers, designing um, uh, ways of operating to stay ahead of it, rewriting uh, contract clauses, all that sort of stuff. That that's that all has to happen. That's what um, that's what has to occur for you to be able to prove that you created a culture of compliance and that you stayed ahead of it. You created systems. Uh, that caught compliance problems before they occurred and that sort of thing. You need something in place like that, whether it's internal or, or external, okay? Um, anyway, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, the, uh, the, the the closing loopholes bill, um, I just want to finish on this because um, the, uh, the Senate did split, was successful in getting the Labor government to split this bill in two. Um, and so part one has been passed now it's and, and it's now in play. The things that are in play right now, um, let's let's just talk about um, the, the the major changes that have occurred and are um, uh, some of them are in play right now as of the 15th of December. So I'm just going to list them out. There's not that many, uh, but let's talk about it. Criminalizing intentional wage theft and non-payment of superannuation. We spent time talking about that, right? Um, but uh, that, that's that's coming. That's been passed. That's in the uh, uh, that's in the closing loopholes bill. That's that's coming in, coming, and and we should be worried about that. Um, equal pay for labour hire workers. Okay, this change starts from the fifteenth of December, twenty twenty three. This is in play now. So essentially, what can happen now is that a a um, a union or someone or an employee can apply to the Fair Work Commission to seek an order that um, a labour hire worker or a, or a group of labour hire workers are paid uh, an equal amount to other workers at a, at a location where an enterprise agreement might exist that, that lifts their wages up because that's what enterprise agreements do, right? They, they lift wages. Um, so the labour hire employee is not covered by the enterprise agreement because they specifically cover um, uh, employees of that enterprise. Labour hire are not employed by that enterprise. Uh, but the union can, or the employees can, submit a request now to the Fair Work Commission to um, seek an order that they are now paid equal to that enterprise agreement. Now, let's talk about this just for one second. Um, labour hire workers traditionally work around, right? So they might work at this site, then this site, then that site, and so on and so on and so on. I've got a few labour hire uh, providers who are clients of mine and one of the pieces of advice i've given them is look when you issue a contract to a labor hire worker issue the the rate of pay that your business is comfortable to pay them at okay don't um jump the gun and go to the, the host employer and say well what's your rate of pays in your in your eba and where would this person sit okay in the contract we'll engage them at that don't do that okay um, and why wouldn't you do that? Well, you don't want to do that because let's say this employee only uh, works for that host employer for two months, two and a half months, and then you change them to another employer for two or three months and so on and so on. Um, you know, 
uh, and they're all different rates and that sort of thing, right? Because they've all got enterprise agreements and they've all been lifted to uh, to be to matching their enterprise agreements. Well, which which rate of pay applies to their annual leave accruals and all that sort of stuff, right? Well, the answer to that is you go back to the the the, the contracted um, rate of pay when you first employed them. So uh, issue contracts if you're a labour hire provider, issue contracts at pay rates that you that you would pay those workers at not what your host employer EBA rates say. Okay, the order will, will require you to do checks and do an uplift payment to match that EBA. You don't have to employ them at that higher pay rate. So keep that in mind. Um, discrimination protections in play from the 15th of December 2023. So that's specifically for... Uh, victims of family and domestic violence. They, they, you know, there's there's new discrimination protections there for them. I think that you know, there's a lot, a lot of protections already in place for those employees. So um, yeah, that, that's, there's nothing new there really, just sort of expanded protections. Um, workplace delegate rights, that's another one. So essentially you know, one of the things here um, is that uh, this is new, that employers are now going to be required to pay union delegates to go away from the workplace, so union, union delegates who are their employees, right? Uh, so a union will um, put forward one of your employees to become a union delegate uh, within your workplace. Um, they get voted as accepted. That's it. They're the delegate. The union wants them now to go and, and take days off work to go and get trained by the union in how to be a good delegate, how to, how to conduct union business and, and all that sort of stuff. Well, now you've got to pay for those for that time off. So, uh, um, welcome to welcome to the Labor government. <laughs> you, you've got to pay for that time off now. Um, other things, right of entry. Right of entry is yeah. So, a union member traditionally has had to have uh, an entry permit to enter your workplace, right? And that permit has to be for a specific reason, um, and and it has to be um, you know, uh, presented um, uh, at site on request uh, to be able to lawfully gain access to a workplace and and actually go in and talk to people so um look unions uh typically um want to have the safety officer or the safety advisor or, or something someone like that on that on that construction side or on the in the workplace um they want those people um who are employed in those positions to be union members and delegates and um, that's that's been the case for many many years, right? Uh, and why is that? Well, they can shut down work. A safety officer can say, no, it's unsafe. Tools down. Uh, it's got to get fixed. And that's been deployed as a tactic from unions for for many many years. And yeah, that's no surprise to anyone. Um, however, now um, the the new rule is that um, the the as of fifteenth of December, the um, the requirement to have a right of entry permit has been removed uh, for for union officials assisting a work health and safety representative um, uh, on, on a site. So, um, you know, that's that's troublesome. That's troublesome. That means that wherever a union delegate is, a, is also employed as a health and safety representative, they can just waltz on site anytime they want for whatever reason they want and not have a permit. Um, that's going to cause a lot of people. In fact, you know, that, that, that amendment is going to be reviewed. I think it says uh, within nine months, of the of the fifteenth of December, that change is going to be reviewed and and to see what the what the effect has been. 
so look, there's there's other changes there, but they're the main ones. They're the main ones. Um, and I'll go back to what I was saying earlier, which is you know we can sit here spending time talking about a thousand things and put you to sleep with it all, but those top three things I think you've really got to know about, be ready for heading into 2024. Um, strategic strategic object, objectives, retaining your people and developing them you know in the right way for 2024 and your pay system understanding what's happening under your roof about how you're getting wages set how contracts are written um, offsetting is done salaries are agreed and set up um, who's monitoring uh, the, the reconciliation of the money actually paid as to whether it's actually covering your minimums and that sort of thing that's your three things right so all the best with all that. Of course, reach out. If you've got questions or, or comments or statements, um, I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to respond to emails. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to give advice where I can. Of course, um, giving advice is not something I would just do willy-nilly and it's not um, uh, it's difficult to, to respond to just a quick email or, or something, something like that with sound advice. Um, everything, everything I'm saying on this podcast is very general in nature. Um, but you know, if you've got real concerns around any of those things, um, reach out, have a chat, ask some questions. I'll help you as best I can. Um, there's no no question about that. But look, I think that about uh, wraps us up for 2023. And um, I don't believe we'll post any more new podcasts until the new year, which is another what week and a half or so away. Um, so it's not that much of a of a, of a break. Um, but you know we're working through. Um, there'll be a couple of a couple of days there where we're going slow, so uh, don't hesitate to reach out anytime across the break, and we're here to help. So ho ho ho! Merry Christmas to all, and uh, you all have a, a very safe, festive period. Thank you again to the clients we've worked with this year. It's been great. Uh, looking forward to big years for for all of you in 2024, um, and uh, let's get your workplace nice and tight and ready for for a cracking year. All the best.